Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be reading The Four Crafts by Ogden Kraut. We're in the section entitled Dr. Craft, and we will be talking about hospitals starting on page 47. The abundance of overcrowded hospitals is a testimony enough of the sick populace of our generation. Instead of getting more healthy, we are becoming more sickly. There was once a slogan repeated by doctors that they were in business to put themselves out of business, but that statement is no longer true. Page 48. In the Mendelssohn chapters, referring to hospitals entitled the Temples of Doom, he stated, quote, When I hear someone, usually an older person who wasn't born in this country, say that the hospital is where you go to die, I say to myself that he or she has been hearing what the gods are saying. Confessions, page 67. One of the worst aspects of a hospital stay is the price you must pay to be there usually more than than it costs to stay in one of the finest resorts in the country, including air travel. And, uh, well, not quite two years ago, it'll be two years in November, my wife was in the hospital for about a month trying to save our baby, trying to make it so that she wouldn't give birth and uh, she eventually did give birth, and my daughter only lived 13 hours. Luckily, we have really good insurance, but her hospital stay with the neonatal and all of everything that happened was over a million dollars. In some cases, one's health might have been better had the time actually been spent at a resort. Dr. Mendelssohn calls a hospital one of the most dangerous places on earth, end quote, and that's from his same book, page 67. He says that the hospitals usually try to keep most of their visitors away, but thinks that it would be better for the patients if they were kept away too. He related an unfortunate hospital experience that happened in his own family. Quote, everything gets mixed up in the hospitals, including patients. My brother went to the hospital for a hernia operation many years ago. He was scheduled for surgery at 11 a.m. He went to his room at 9.30 a.m., but he wasn't there, or I went to his hospital at... 9.30, and I don't know if that's p.m. or a.m. actually, but he wasn't there. I knew right away what had happened. I ran down to the operating room, and sure enough, there he was. They'd taken him instead of another patient. The only reason he escaped was that the other patient was supposed to get a hysterectomy. That's from his same book, uh, pages 71 through 72. He continued with, mix-ups occur in the hospital all the time. Surgeons operate on the wrong leg. 
medicines are given to the wrong patients. The wrong food is served to people on special diets. Even babies are mixed up. And that's from his same book, page 72. And we're on page 49 if you're reading along with us in The Four Crafts. Dr. Mendelssohn also said that there were germs present in the hospital that you can't get anywhere else. One of the reasons is because they are filled with such a variety of diseases and sicknesses. Added to that that there are many kinds of rubbish, discarded tissues, surgical, surgically removed organs, spurtums, placentas, diapers, underpants, underpads, catheters, body, bodily secretions, swabs, syringes, etc., etc. He sarcastically concluded with, quote, If you're unfortunate enough to be near a hospital when your last days on earth approach, your doctor will make sure your $500 a day deathbed has the latest electronic gear with your staff of strangers to hear your last words. But since those strangers are paid to keep your family away from you, you won't have anything else to say. Your last sounds will be the electronic whistles on the cardiogram. Your relatives will participate because they'll pay the bill. And that is in the introduction of his book on uh, page 7. Prescription Drugs Dr. Robert Mendelssohn recognized that the practice of using prescription drugs is being pushed to the limit and the problems are more serious than people are aware. On the cover of his book, Confessions of a Medical Heretic, and that's the book that we're reading from, or well quoting from, he states, quote, Dr. Mendelssohn argues cognitively, co- cognitively that drugs are now being so overprescribed that more illnesses are being caused by their side effects, which doctors neglect to tell their patients about, than are being cured. In several places in this book, Dr. Mendelssohn is, explains very emphatically the dangers of drugs. Four of these references are mentioned here, quote, The sacrament of the Catholic Church or any other real church seldom harm anyone. Doctors prescribed, and he's talking about kill, because there's plenty of psychological and other kind of harm that happens in corrupt churches, including the Mormon church, by the way, all of them. Doctors prescribed sacramental drugs of modern medicine kill more people than illegal street drugs. A nationwide survey of medical examiners reported that street drugs caused 26% of drug abuse deaths. Valium and barbiturates, prescription drugs, made up another 23% of drug abuse deaths. And we're on page 50 if you're reading along. This study did not take into account the 20 to 30,000 yearly deaths attributed to adverse reactions to the drugs prescribed by doctors. And that's in his book, Medical Heretic, pages 25 and 26. Many doctors prescribe penicillin for conditions as harmless as the common cold, since penicillin works almost exclusively against bacterial infection. It is useless against viral conditions such as the cold or the flu. 
Penicillin and other antibiotics do not shorten the course of the disease, they do not prevent complications, and they do not reduce the number of pathogen, pathogenic organisms in the nose and throat. They do no good at all. End quote from the Medical Heretic, page 26. Within the last few years, a torrent of advertisements in medical journals has heralded the coming of such anti-arthritic drugs as Butsazolidinalka, Morton, that, that's one, Indorsin, Naprosin, Nafron, Tulsitin, and others, and drug companies have spared neither time nor money in rushing their arthritis cures to the marketplace. Millions upon millions of prescriptions have been written in, in just these few years. These new case, these, this new class of drugs has a record of side effects that promises to rival antibiotics and hormones as genuine pu- public health menaces. End quote from the Medical Heretic, page 32. If you should be aware of all of the drugs for which the side effects are the same as the indications, this isn't as rare as you might think. For example, if you read the list of indications for Valium and then read the list of side effects, you'll find that the list lists are more and more more or less interchangeable. Under the indication, you'll find anxiety, fatigue, depression, acute agitation, tremors, hallucinations, skeletal muscle spasms, and under the side effects, anxiety, fatigue, depression, acute hyper-excited states, tremors, hallucinations, increased muscle, muscle spasticity. I admit I don't know how to use a drug like this. What am I supposed to do if I prescribe it and the symptoms continue? Stop the drug or double the dose? What strategy strategy lies behind using drugs like this is a mystery to me. End quote from the Medical Heretic, page 42, and we're on page 51. Note, Valium is the largest selling drug in history, prescriptions reaching about 60 million a year, and that was back in the 90s. Drugstores carry thousands of chemicals called medicines. Who knows what problem each one is capable of causing people, since every person has his own unique constitution, and every drug could react in a different way. And that's why I tell people, and I need to be more diligent about doing this myself, but... Tell Heavenly Father what you're going to take. Read the inserts that come with the drugs. I know they're long, but read them. Make a decision and and say, okay, I'm going to take this drug, if that's what you choose to do. And tell Heavenly Father what you're going to do. And then just move towards taking it. But if the Spirit withdraws from you, don't take the drug. Because Heavenly Father knows more about our bodies than the doctors do. And he knows how we will react to different chemicals within our bodies than the, the, the uh, 
the medical companies know about or that they'll tell you about. I've never once had a doctor tell me, if you take this, these are the side effects. Oh, they tell me after the fact. So back in 2010, I was an oil field worker out in South O'Reilly, south of Vernal and Roosevelt, and I was the emergent, er, well, super title for a stupid job. I was emergency management for uh, for the Anadarko oil field primarily, but I also worked in EOG and XTO, Chevron, Exxon, a bunch of different companies. Um, and my job was to basically do grunt work all night long, and if there was a problem, I was the one to go to be first on scene to try to stop whatever was going on from happening, or at least contain it the best I could. And one particular night, I was pulling chemical water out of a frack pond and because um, we were going to pull over the tarps and suck all the fluids out of it and put it in a larger pond where there could be a eva- ev- evaporation done. And um, I slipped and I fell into this frack pond, which was only about four inches deep where I was at. But I was in that frack pond for hours. I couldn't get out because the angle of the uh, the protective tarps, or I don't even line they're called liners, was at a 45 degree angle. And when it's wet, it's plastic. It's like a slip and slide. I couldn't get out. Um, finally, I realized that I had a key in my pocket and I took the key out and I punctured the liner, which I got in trouble for, even though we were going to bury the liner. Anyway, I got in trouble, even though I was, like, in this thing at four in the morning. Uh, well, for, I don't know, it was like two to, I don't know, six or seven. I, somewhere, I, I don't remember, it was a long time ago. But anyway, I was uh, chemically poisoned. Nobody has diabetes in my family or the other problems that I have, but I was chemically poisoned. And I got pneumonia from it. I lost 100 pounds in 30 days. The chemicals were eating my muscles. And the um, the chemicals were coming out through my epiderm- epidermis or my skin. And I had sores all over my body. Uh, I had a friend at the time. Um, I went to breakfast with him. And... He was, or he is, he's still alive. He was, or is, two or three years older than me. I can't remember. I'll be 45 on the 29th of June. So, um, but they thought I was his dad because of how old and how sickly I looked. I had to walk with a cane. Um, I got really sick and I am still suffering 12 years later uh, well not quite it, it will it'll be 12 years this uh, fall or maybe it was winter but anyway I think it was fall anyway um, 
but you know, 12 years and I'm still suffering from it. Nobody else in my family has diabetes. I have diabetes. Um, it fried a bunch of my organs. I have kidney problems and liver problems. And, uh, it's just, it's a miracle that I'm still alive for so many reasons, for so many reasons. But that was one of, that's one of the miracles that I'm still alive after that happened to me. They were worried that the chemicals were going to eat my heart tissue because it was eating my muscles and that I would die. And I still suffer from the side effects of that. Um, So because I have these issues, I have to take medication for the diabetes. And I've never had anybody tell me what the side effects are of these drugs. And there was a point where I could not control my bowels and I I had to wear diapers, which is embarrassing, but it was one of the side effects and uh, muscle spasms and um, uh, what do you call, like my hands would would, uh, curl up and I couldn't get them to bend back out. Like, and those are minor things compared to what other people go through. Um, Another interesting thing, because I developed the pneumonia, um, there was actually a lot of people who were sick at the time and the hospital was full and they sent me home with Tramadol and some other prescription drugs. I can't remember what they all were, but um, they sent me home to get better at home. I had pneumonia. Like they, I don't know. Uh, another thing, too, just since we're on this topic about uh, the cost of hospitals, the first time I tried to commit suicide, I was being released from a mental institution because my mother was trying to find a place to put me when I was uh, 14 years old because she didn't want me to be with her and she wanted somebody to take me. And um, anyway, it was a big mess. My mom put me in a rehab center when I was 14, too. I didn't drink any any alcohol or do any drugs, but here I am in a mental uh, in a uh, a rehab center. So anyway, so um, I tried to kill myself when they um, put uh, when they. Uh, so I was in primary children's hospital for a while and they determined that, uh, that it was situational problems, meaning the things that were going on at home were the reason I was having problems. And I only learned that because, uh, when I went on my mission at the MTC, they had to pull my medical records and I got to read them. Well, the doctor at Davis mental health in Layton, Utah, told me all kinds of things and told my mom all kinds of things. All of the horrible things that they told are that was in the report at Primary Children's Hospital and none of it was true. But he, my mom was on welfare and they could keep me going on different kinds of drugs and stuff. And that's just, you know, money making profession as it was. Um, When I tried to commit suicide when I was 19... I, I had slashed my arms and hands and wrists and elbows so much that they had to glue me back together. Um, there was few places that they could stitch. 
and so they they used glue to glue me back together i was in the hospital for a little hospital for a little bit and then they just released me to my friend you know if i had insurance they probably would have sent me to a mental institution to get better or at least not be so dangerous to myself but i didn't have insurance at the time so they just let me go because it's not about helping people it's about money and i know it's about helping people somewhat but it's more often than not it's about money they don't really care about the patients and anyway and like a lot of these prescription drug companies they will get the doctors to they'll send reps to get the doctors to uh give you certain prescription drugs um and they're kind of like and i like my doctor but a lot of doctors are like overpriced drug dealers they're like highly educated drug dealers anyway continuing on with the with the uh the reading just my opinions who knows what problems each one is capable of causing people since every person has his own unique constitution and every drug could react in a different way in one recent scientific report it was noted that at least 52 side effects were caused by birth control pills what is more chilling is that many stronger drugs are probably even more hazardous nearly all chemicals have side effects a few years ago, a student in a large eastern college was completing his dissertation for his doctorate degree on drugs and medicines. The premise of his study was deemed determined was to determine the effect that combinations of drugs would have on the human system. In the previous studies he had read, the experiments were performed with a single drug to see what effect it had on the human body, but no one else had yet studied the effect of ingesting varying combinations of drugs. He was overwhelmed with some of his results. However, when he shared his discoveries with his supervisors, he was told that he could, re he could receive his decree degree, but would have to stop his dissertation project. The reason is obvious. Dr. Mendelssohn strongly warns against dangerous drug combinations, quote, because we're living in an era of polypharmacy, everybody is taking more than one drug at a time. You've got to become aware of the dangers of combinations of drugs. One drug may have side effects harmful to one organism three or 4% of the time, 2% in another organ, 6% in another. The second drug may have dangers for one organ that occurs 3%, dangers for another organ that, uh, that occurs 10%. If you're taking enough drugs, the danger can easily add up to more than 100%. More on page 52 if you're reading along. You're virtually assured to, of suffering from some toxic effect. Even more dangerous are potentating effects of drug combinations and that's from the medical heretic page 41 and let me remind you this guy worked on this research to compile for this book i think it was like 30 or 40 years like he spent his life compiling this book and um 
I, I, I don't know. I just... Ugh. Anyway, many other doctors have also recognized the dangers in drugstore remedies. Dr. Martin Endelson wrote, quote, There are medicines that do more harm than good. The drug industry spends billions of dollars each year to sell you on over-the-counter remedies that you don't need. They interfere with your body's natural way of clearing the respiratory tract. Chief villains, antihistamines, decongestants, expectorants, and cough suppressants, and quote the secrets by Dr. Edelson, page 13. It should be every individual's right to use his or her free agency in deciding the type of medicines or herbs that he will use, or he or she will use, or even the rejection of both. Neither the doctors, the hospitals, the state, the police, nor the federal government have the right to dictate how you, how you treat a health problem, unless, of course, it is contagious or injurious to others. For example, some women prefer to have their babies at home. The state may discourage it, and the insurance companies may refuse to pay for it, and society may think you're crazy, but nevertheless, it should be an individual's choice and perhaps even be to your best interest. Before a patient agrees to ingesting a great deal of prescription drugs, maybe he should remember that one, Drugs damage the immune system, making the body more vulnerable to illness, which makes you into a bigger customer for these drug companies and these hospitals. That's my opinion. Number two, doctors receive drug samples, vaccinations, computers, cell phones, etc. to encourage them to promote certain drugs, whether they are good or not. And we're on page 53 if you're reading along. Uh, point three, some doctors have and use their own medical laboratories to this to the more so the more tests they can give you, the richer they get. Number four, many drugs are habit forming and can cause people to rely on them regardless of their need for them. And I just have to say this, like I really like my doctor, but about a year ago, he decided that I needed to take a pill to lower my cholesterol cholesterol and my my blood pressure I was like why are you asking me to take this pill he says well to do this and I said but you just got my test back and you can see that my cholesterol is not high and my blood pressure is normal so why do you want me to take this well he says well you're getting to be the age where you should just take it as a preventative measure I don't even know what to say to that. Anyway, it's just... I don't even know what to say. I'm just It's just an observation. And I was like, why do you want me to take more drugs? I don't like taking pills. I don't mind taking vitamins and things like that. I do not like taking over-the-counter medications or... Uh, pharmaceuticals 
but I'm kind of forced to because of the diabetes. Um, I have to take it or I don't get my medical card and I can't be a truck driver. And I love being a truck driver. Um, I don't like how my body feels after the last 27 years of bouncing around in a semi-truck, which if you don't know, you really don't know how much... Uh, it takes on a toll on the body being a semi-truck driver. It really does. Anyway, but um, but I love driving truck. But and I honestly, I don't know what I, else I could do to that I would want to do to make the or even that I could do to make the kind of money I make as a truck driver, an experienced, specialized truck driver. And I love my job. I love driving truck. I always want to be a truck driver. I've always wanted to be a truck driver. Even when I was little, the only three things I ever wanted to do was uh, operate a train. And I've done that. And it is so boring. I Like, no, I... Ugh. And then I wanted to be an airplane pilot until I was in a couple of... Uh, really bad flights that have me shaking every time I get in an airplane. Like, literally, I, I'll i do it if I have to. I hate flying, though. <laughs> and I know it's probably more safe than back in the 80s and 90s when I had the bad experiences that I had. But I just... I, maybe I shouldn't be so scared of it because I don't believe God will allow me to die. And like I said yesterday on the program... Um, when I was suicidal and I tried to kill myself in so many different ways and was unsuccessful and I wasn't crying out for help either. Like the only person I told that I was doing it was a friend and it was in the middle of the night and my friend in Australia, who I'm still friends with, I let her know. I wanted her to, to let people know the reason why and I did that because I did not want her and I knew she couldn't contact anybody in the middle of the night being overseas and like in Australia I was in Everett Washington when I did this I didn't want her to stop me from doing what I was doing and I've apologized for putting her through that trauma and I'm really sorry that I was at that point, a point in my life where I wanted, where I have wanted to do that. And I have tried unsuccessfully, as you can see. (laughs) But um, after that, I got to the point where I thought maybe since I can't die, maybe I should, uh, Maybe I should go haul fuel in Iraq or Afghanistan in an active war zone because I can make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year doing that. And all I have to, you know, I I do the work. All I do is drive the truck and whatever. And like, if God wants me to live, I'll live no matter what happens, right? And I'll make some good money in it. And if I so happen to accidentally get killed, then that's fine with me because that's where I was at back then so maybe I shouldn't worry so much about airplanes I just it scares me to death it scares me to death anyway okay tangent I'm sorry I'm going off on tangents today 
Point four, many drugs are habit-forming and can cause people to rely on them regardless of their need for them. Uh, oh, well, here's another example. Um, when I was married to my first wife, because of all of the mess that was going on with her, um, I needed help. And I was suffering from severe depression and suicidal tendencies or ideations. And so I, I took antidepressants. I took Wellbutrin and Lexapro, I think. Anyway, but I have insurance and then I wasn't able to get them and I didn't have the money to pay for them. So I came off of them abruptly, which caused me to have a crash and on my on the first birthday, September 25th, 2006, after my grandfather had died, his first birthday after he died, and he was like my only father figure growing up that wasn't abusive, um, I had a nervous breakdown. And it was because I was crashing off of dr- off of the drugs that were supposed to help me, and I couldn't get I couldn't get them I, I couldn't afford them and I couldn't get them and I crashed and I tried to kill myself again. Um, just a little side note. I have not felt suicidal ideations since two. 2011. Yep, 2011. February 22nd, 2011 was the day I tried to kill myself. And after I realized, well, after I tried to kill myself a whole bunch of different ways, my last attempt was taking a a full bottle of uh, tramadol, 5,000 milligrams, and just swallowing the whole thing with a bunch of other stuff. And uh, right before I passed out, I was like, I'm finally going to be done with this life. I don't I don't want to be here anymore. And seven hours later, I woke up vomiting all over the place. I was high for three days. And I, I finally was like, you know what? After hanging from a rope for a couple of hours, um, the last time I tried to hang myself and... After the overdoses and all of everything that I tried to do, I came to the conclusion that God doesn't want me to die. So I packed up my stuff, I got in my car, and I drove from Everett, Washington, where it rained all winter long, and I drove down to Florida, where it rained all summer long, but at least there's beaches there in St. Petersburg near Tampa Bay and uh, Clearwater, Florida. And um, I went down there with just enough money to get down there and hardly any money for food. I, I survived on like buying dollar hamburger, like $2 hamburgers a day. <sighs> Living in my car doing day labor jobs, which is hard labor. And... Uh, I pulled myself out of my suicidal ideations, and I have not felt suicidal since. I have had depression. Uh, I struggle with some things, uh, some unresolved stuff from my childhood. 
Um, so my oldest son, who is 16, I didn't meet him till he was six because I'm his stepdad. And, and then I have a stepdaughter who was three when I became, but I, I'm like the only dad they know. And they call me dad and I'm their dad. I fulfill that role for them and I love them to death. Not to death, but you know what I mean. Anyway, um, we had two daughters, my wife and I. One is nine, the other one is seven. We had Ezekiel, and he died uh, in utero. And then we had Arius, and he is three years old now. And we had Emma, and she would have been two in November. But she died 13 hours after she was born. But I have this little three-year-old boy. And I cannot imagine ever giving him to anybody for for somebody else to raise him. I love them all, but I love my son so much. And I look at him, and he looks like me in my baby pictures. Well, at certain points he looks like me, but um, it doesn't matter. My mom started giving me away, and I'm I'm her oldest, when I was two years old. The first time she gave me away, according to what my grandparents tell me, was to strangers in Florida, uh, and they didn't know where I was for like two weeks, and then uh, somebody went and got me. My uh, mom started giving me to my grandparents so they could take care of me when she decided she didn't want to when I was two years old. And I lived with my grandparents on and off from the time I was two years old until I was 16. And actually even up to 19 because I lived with them before my mission. And they were born in the 1920s, so, I mean, they they were pretty old by that point anyway, but they tried to do their best to take care of me. And my dad, he, um, he wasn't a drug addict when my mom married him, but he became a drug addict after my brother, who was older than I, died. So I'm actually the second one, but the first one was, uh, he's only 17 weeks along. So anyway, but, uh, he became a drug addict. And by the time I came around, he was full in drugs. And by the time my sister that's just younger, 18 months younger than me or something like that, by the time she was born, she was born at University Hospital, Utah, um, the one in Salt Lake City, Utah, that's connected to Utah State University. She was born on one floor, and my dad was in the psychiatric ward for <laughs> for the messed up drugs he was taking. On another floor, 
And um, when my sister was born, they they let him leave the mental ward to go see my mom and my sister who had just been born. And then the drug problems got even worse and worse and there was a bunch of arrests and stuff and some crazy stuff. And then my mom finally divorced him when I was three because he was cheating on me with another woman who became his wife who was his drug addict partner. Well, he got better for her and they had a family. And they spent the majority of my childhood years running, getting jobs under the table uh, because they didn't want to pay child support. Um, And I didn't see my dad until I was 10 years old. And that was only for a minute. And then I didn't see him again for a couple of years. And then... And then I lived with him for a couple of months and then I didn't see him again for a couple of years. And then I lived with him for like a couple of months when I was uh, 16, I think. And then uh, and I didn't see him again till I was like 28. And anyway, I don't have anything to do with him anymore. But... Um, He was so screwed up. But those were illicit drugs that he was on. Anyway, I don't know why I got into that. But So I just deal with some issues. Like, why didn't my mom or my dad want me? And I look at my son, and I look at him, and I, I think, how in the world could they ever get rid of me like they did, you know? So I'm dealing with those issues right now. Um, even though... When I spoke to Jesus Christ face to face, he told me that all of the things that I've gone through were, I, he allowed me to go through those things for his wise purpose so that I could become the person that he needed me to be. And that's fine, but it still hurts that I was neglected and rejected by my parents. That's all I ever wanted. Every time my mom sent me away somewhere, I just cried and cried and cried, and I just wanted to be accepted by my mother. When my daughter, Emma, died, I I begged her to please go to where I live and, and be there with so I could be in the hospital with my wife so my kids wouldn't be left home alone. And she actually had the audacity to tell me that her, that my problems are not her problems. When my grandparents died, she inherited a large sum of money. She doesn't have to pay a house payment. She has a bunch of money. She has no job. She lives 45 or 50 miles away from where I live. And she couldn't lift a finger to come and help her own grandchildren. And my dad has never seen my children. He has not contacted me since I've been married. Um, And it hurts. But even with all of that, I haven't been suicidal since 2011. 
It was September 22nd, 2011. And um, I am sad and depressed and I have some issues, but but I'm not going to use Wellbutrin or uh, Linzapril or whatever it's called. Linzapril? I'm not going to use those things because I will work through my problems. You know, maybe they can be helpful to some people if you ask God and he says, okay, you know, this is probably good for you, then maybe that's something you should do. And you should pray about everything you take into your body. But anyway, uh, continuing on with the reading, I'm going to try to keep this under an hour, so we'll see where I get. With taking drugs, you might have slot machine odds to improve your health. You may have a few minor winnings, and by a rare lucky chance, you may hit the jackpot and quickly recover, or, as the odds usually are, the house wins. All right, so the next topic that we're going to talk about is fluorides. And I don't remember, it's been a while since I've read this book, and I'm not reviewing it, I'm just reading as I'm going. And I don't know what they exactly what they talk about but we'll find out the next time we do a video but I do know that fluorides calcify your pineal gland and your pineal gland is the gland that helps you to have a connection between the spirit world and the physical world all of your spiritual visions and everything happen because God put a pineal gland in your mind which is the third eye which is right here behind your forehead. And uh, and they're giving you the fluoride on purpose to help your bones. No, it's not to help your bones. Not even a little bit. That's the excuse they give you. It, it's not. It's to, it's to calcify your pineal gland to cut you off from spiritual activity. And if you are as so many... I have spoken to don't have spiritual experiences it might be because your pineal gland is calcified now I'm not going to give you any medical advice on on this topic but if you google or YouTube uh, calcified pineal gland you might find some interesting treatments which I don't know if they work or not uh, one of the things that I was lucky with was since I lived with my grandparents so often in Spencer, Idaho, we lived 14 miles south of the Montana-Idaho border up on I-15, 70 miles west of Yellowstone National Park. And our town was the only town up that way. So the water that we were drinking was a deep water well right on the Continental Divide, and it was pure water, and that's what I grew up drinking a lot. And uh, I believe because I was free of the calcification that most people go through by drinking fluoridated and other chemicals in their water, I was able not to be cut off from receiving visions and dreams and all the spiritual experiences that I've had, I believe it was because I 
was drinking pure water. And my grandparents, like, they were from the Depression era, and they would, my grandma would make the best food from scratch. So, I mean, I didn't have to deal with all the GMOs and the poisoning of the water and all of that stuff. So, um, but now that I have lived out of that environment for many years, I believe my pineal gland is calcifying. And uh, I need to do something about that because um, I think I can, I, I think the effects of the calcification is actually affecting me. So anyway, um, I guess we'll be done with the program for today. Uh, let me just see what page we're on. Oh yeah, we're on page 53. So when we come back, we'll do fluorides and we'll start from that point when uh, I finish the next podcast so thank you so much for watching this video if you're watching or listening to the podcast at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon or uh, your itunes for fundamentally mormon and uh, i'll post i'll post the links to this video and to the podcast and to the links for the book and for the text that we covered today at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. That's facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. If you want to follow me, I have 49, let's see, 4,950-ish friends. So there's still some slots available for people who would like to follow me. I also have like six or 700 followers above my friends. So even if I do max out the friendship, whatever on Facebook, you can still follow me. So if you're interested, follow me and I will be posting more content um, as I create it in that place. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye.